guys, welcome in to another episode of The Woodshed. This is Brother Jonathan, where we tell the truth even when it hurts. Well, today we've got something special. We have a guest with us. Brother Todd Thompson's going to be with us, and we're going to talk about marriage. So hang around. We'll get started. tonight because we do have a guest and we bought some new equipment and are able to have good conversations. So with us is a longtime friend of mine, Brother Todd Thompson. He is the world's foremost left-handed theologian and he is married to a woman. And so with that, we feel like he's qualified to talk about marriage tonight. Todd, say hey to everybody. Hey, everybody. I've been married for a solid 21 years. That's a long time. A good Proverbs 31 woman. And, and, and what happened? How did you end up with, with such a good wife? Um, it was just all grace. It yeah. was all grace because I'm a horrible person. Um, very horrible. Very horrible. Mm-hmm. And only by the grace of God um, was I introduced to Dana through a friend. And uh, A friend of yours, right? Not, not yeah, her. A friend they, of, they well, actually, she's a friend of yours. She's a you. friend of yours, too. Well, don't call her name out. We don't want to We don't want to trash her like that. Yeah, so. no, we don't want her associated yeah. with her. But thank you for people. telling people that I do have friends. That's yes. That's important yes. thing. So. Yep. The, um, so, so, Todd, let's open up. Uh, first question is, um, how dare you? And as a follow-up, um, who do you think you are? Uh, well, how dare I? Uh, I don't really know. You in, you uh, you asked me to come in, so that's how dare I. <laughs> I think you dared me, maybe. And Pretty who, much. Who do I think I am? I am, I am someone who is uh, saved by the grace of Jesus, uh, God's grace sent Jesus, and uh, sanctification. You know, I am just here through God's sanctification in me. Uh, because I am plenty uh, screw up, but uh, God is making me more like Him every day. And sanctification is the process of Him making you less like you and more like Jesus every day. So that's a that's a good thing. We're yes. proud of that. So yes, we're proud of that. My wife appreciates that more every day. That's it. So hey, being married twenty plus years to the same lady, she is a wonderful, wonderful lady. We're very happy for her and happy for your family that that you have. You got four kids. And, uh, and like I said, man, uh, you know, God has just absolutely blessed you in that regard. So I think that that is, um, you know, one of the big qualifiers when, when we talked about you coming on to the program and, and talking to us about this subject and having this conversation is because a lot of times with marriage, I think it does need to be more conversational than, than just kind of a, a preaching at um, so that people kind of hear the back and forth because marriage is a, is a pretty complicated issue because what you end up with is uh, two people who uh, both need Jesus and they're mar- married together. I think that's probably one of, the, one of the great flaws that we see in today's church culture is um, one is that we've, we've kind of given ourselves over to this idea of this one, the one. You got to marry the one. And if you miss out on the one, well, then all falls apart. You know, that, that two Christians can't simply get married in Christian matrimony and holy matrimony and have a productive and wonderful marriage. That there is this, we have to wait for the one. 
and the idea is that this one is going to be perfect for us. They're going to be this perfect spouse. And, um, and, and let me ask you, uh, is your wife perfect? No, she is oh, not. No. Oh, no, you, you, you missed that question. That was a softball on the tee. You should have knocked that out of the park. So. Now, 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 my wife is a gift from God, and, and we are meant for each other from the day we say I do. And we are in a covenant with each other and a covenant with God. She is perfect for me. She is definitely my better half. Yeah, I agree with that. She is definitely the better of the two of you. And um, <laughs> but, but I say the same thing about Lindsay. With, with <laughs> well, that's because she is perfect, and yeah. and that's that's. It. But the the thing is, is what's funny is we're waiting. Many times, what it's taught is this: the one theology is taught that they are perfect when you marry them. And the thing is, is that um, Lindsay and I were absolutely not perfect for each other when we got married. But when we got married, we were going to become perfect for each other. You know, that, that's what marriage is, is the process of becoming the, the husband that she needs for me to be and, and her becoming the wife that I need her to be. And because everybody is different, you know, everybody has that, that, that differences within them. And so there's no such thing as just the perfect wife. Because uh, somebody that would be a perfect wife for you may not be a perfect wife for me. You know, because marriage is a marrying of two together. It's I always say it's the death of me and you and the birth of us. Yes, you know? absolutely. And so in that, in our usness, we're going to become more and more attuned and, and uh, acclimated for one another. And over the course of time, we will become perfect for one another. But we don't marry a perfect spouse. We don't marry a perfect person for us. I think that's been a tremendous, um, uh, just a tremendous detriment to the body of Christ where people think, oh, I'm waiting for the perfect one. And they'll never find a perfect one at all. What they'll find is is a, a, a lost, or not a lost person, but a sinner. They will find a sinner. You will marry a sinner. And, um, and, and you will be a sinner married to another sinner. And in that relationship, in the marriage relationship, there's no um, perfect people as individuals. You become perfectly acclimated together for each other. But individually, you'll, you'll never be perfect. Yeah, there's, there's, that's just, that doesn't exist. You're both in the process of sanctification. And, uh, and we, we see, we talk about our personalities, you know, I'm more like Lindsay, you're more like Dana, but God, we have opposites that attract each other, but that, that is not perfect. We're not, you know, we don't fit together like a perfect puzzle piece. Mm -hmm. We are becoming that through our worship together through our praying together mm -hmm. uh loving each other the way god wants us to love each other we're going to slowly become more like christ and loving each other more perfectly but you can't expect god to just toss someone your way and say this person is perfect for you this person is not perfect mm -hmm. there are no perfect people jesus was the only perfect 
So you're saying you married a sinner? I did marry a sinner. Oh, wow. Wow. I hate that for you. So are you still married to a sinner? I've been married to a sinner for 21 years. Hey. So, And she has put up with a lot of sin. Out of you, too? Out of me. So you married a sinner that also married, married a sinner. a sinner, absolutely. And just a couple of sinners. Even though she did think I was perfect when, when we met. Oh, yeah. So you lied to her. Well, we talked our first date. We talked about Abraham, and we talked about how God put the H in his name, that fifth letter of the alphabet and symbolic of grace. And so we talked Bible our our first date. And you that's threw what Hebrew, she attracted. You threw Hebrew at Dana on the first date. I did. Also asked her God about her, her salvation story on our first date because I was done playing the game. So you wanted her to prove that she was a Christian. I wanted her to prove that she loved God and <laughs> loved <laughs> Jesus before I jumped off in trouble. So you got serious real quick. Real quick. I was not wow. playing the game. You're like, here is some pasta, and now tell me when you got saved and listen to my discourse on Hebrew. That's right. I think she actually had a baked potato. That didn't night. Even spring for the pasta? No. I had I think I had barbecue chicken or something. It was at a Ruby Tuesdays. Classy. Yes, very classy. So uh so I had chicken, she had a baked potato, no pasta involved anywhere. That's just middle class fancy right there. That is that is lower middle class fancy. <laughs> what that you don't take her to Ruby Tuesdays anymore, do you? You know, I take her to to like Texas Roadhouse now. And, uh, and big step up and like Olive Garden, you know, mm. fancy Italian. Yes, yes, the, the cheese grater and everything. Yes, yeah, baby, don't you worry. You get all the salad and breadsticks <laughs> you want. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> and baked potato days are gone. <laughs> Those are right. behind us. You know, you? she still wants her baked potato. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all right. <laughs> well, but that that is absolutely the thing. Is that yeah, you know, you are a sinner. You're married to a sinner. And in the marriage, there's going to be sin. There's going to be sin against one another. You know, there, there's going to be things that you do that offend the other person. There's going to be things that they do that offend you. Um, and, and so you have to realize that that person's not perfect. You know, we, we, you go through the walk down the aisle, they, they throw rice at you, and they're wearing the pretty dresses and all this, and it's this dream, oh, look how perfect it is. But in reality, it's just two sinners playing costume. You know, like they're just dressing up. And then the next day, you wake up, and you wake up beside a sinner, somebody who's going to do stuff wrong, and they're going to have grouchy attitudes. They're going to say things wrong. They're not going to do things perfectly. Um, you know, we're going to fuss and argue over where we're going to keep the silverware in the kitchen, which drawer it belongs to. Do the, do the dirty dishes go in the sink? Do we put them beside the sink? Do we, you know, there, there's all of these things that you have to become acclimated to one another because you did not and will not marry a perfect person. You're just marrying a sinner. And hopefully you're marrying a redeemed sinner that is a Christian and who, when they fail, and when you fail, are going to be able to extend grace over the top of your failures and, and have mercy upon you. Because if not, if you, if you hold them to a perfect standard of that you have to be perfect in my eyes, then there's, that just breeds problems. You constantly are going to have a problem because what you're demanding 
is justice within your marriage. And the problem is, is that you're married to a sinner. And marriages have to be built off of grace and they have to be built off of mercy. The, the same way that our relationship to, to Jesus, and, and we see the salvation portrayed in a marriage atmosphere of we are the bride of Christ, that we're the body of Christ, all of this, that, um, that there has to be grace and mercy showed towards us by God for there to be that oneness and that fellowship. And the same within our marriages, there has to be grace, there has to be mercy, because your spouse is going to do stuff wrong, and and you're going to do stuff wrong too. And so marriages have to be built off of a, I hate almost say expectation of sin. Like you have to know that they're going to mess up, they're going to make mistakes, they're going to have failures, and an expectation of their failures of their offenses and at the same time an expectation of your grace and of your mercy towards that person when they do offend you yeah i think too many times uh in marriage counseling we don't cover those things like okay this person is going to sin against you but love is gracious love is kind we get that in the marriage counseling we get we get that those verses that talk about what love is, but we don't talk about how do we show love and grace and mercy to our spouse when they sin against us, you know, and as men, we are uh, the priest of the home and we're supposed to have that relationship with our wives like Christ is to the church and gave himself for it. So you, you got to understand that, You're both sinners, and when she sins against you, she's a sinner. That's what sinners do. They sin, and you have to be like Christ to the church, and you have to forgive. You need to be the first one to forgive. That's it. You know, I think marriages have to work work vertically before they can ever work horizontally. And so what you understand— of your theology you know what you aw tozer says what a man thinks about god is the most important thing about the man um and in the same way what you believe your theology of marriage is the most important thing to the success of your marriage you know because being married is not simply not getting divorced you know like i think too often we attribute those things as the same that you're married and you're not divorced as the same thing. I think that's called a miserable marriage. Uh, yeah, secular marriage, you yeah, know, a carnal secular, marriage, yeah. a legal marriage, you know, can exist that way. But um, but not a God-ordained, you know, not God's holy institution doesn't exist that way. So, so it's not just a, you know, <laughs> we got in front of some people, we said some stuff, and now we're waiting on each other to die. You know, like that's that's not the idea of marriage, you know, it is, oh, yeah, we've been married for 40 long, miserable years. You know, I'm yes. waiting them out. You know, we have a we have a, a traditional, terrible marriage. <laughs> it's it, you so. know, yeah, you know, like we are miserable, but we're not getting divorced. It's like you're not really married. You know, like that's not a marriage. You know, like you've got a death pact, but you don't have a marriage. Yeah, you have an agreement. Yeah. You signed the, the marriage record. So you're 
you're you're under a contract. That's it. And That's you're it. just not going to break that contract. That's it. You know, it, it's like a a, a a contract for property rights and conjugal visits, you know, and that, that's, that's all we've got, you know, uh, type thing. And, and so that is a, a secular carnal view of marriage. Uh, the true marriage is that you are a husband to your wife. Your wife is a wife to her husband and that there are expectations in the relationship that are exchanged. Um, I think that because a lot of times in the Christian church, we've cheapened our marriages to resemble legal marriages when they're not. They're holy marriages. They, they have God's standard, you know, and God's design. They, they work the way that God says for them to work. And it's not simply that we find somebody that we're sexually attracted to that we want to be roommates with and maybe make some children and have conjugal visits back and forth and split bills and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think too often people enter into marriage almost like a business relationship versus what it truly is of that um, you are the husband, you will lead, you will provide, you will protect, you will shepherd, you will pastor, you will be the priest, and then she's the wife and she is going to compliment, she's going to help meet, she's going to come alongside and benefit and all of these type of things, you know, that she will be the, that he will be the leader, but she very much will be the maker of things, you know, um, you know, like you provide a paycheck, but, but your wife turns it into a home and decorations, you know, uh, you, you give her money. She, she makes hot meals out of it, you know, and, and things like that, you know, so she is the homemaker. She makes the home, you know, so it's not just a place that y'all, you know, choose to reside together, you know, that you crash after work and, and veg out on the, on the, you know, on the couch watching TV until it's time for you to go to sleep, but that you actually make a life together. You make a home together. You make a family together and that God has a distinctive role for the man in that relationship. And he has a distinctive role for the woman in that relationship. And in our lost culture, what they've moved to is this, egalitarian kind of viewpoint and um and even the church tried to push away from the egalitarian because that's just stupid you know small words jonathan egalitarian okay 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 i'll I'll explain it this way there's three forms of marriage there is um uh, there's egalitarianism there's complementarianism and then there's patriarchy okay um egalitarianism is man and woman in bed at night they hear a bump, they hear a noise, and the dude rolls over to the wife and says, can you go check that out? All right, that, that's egalitarianism. We are completely equal. There's no distinctions whatsoever between man and woman. And so you go check it out because you're 50-50 in this. Okay. Um, complementarianism is that there are differences, but they're not that big of a deal. And so complementarianism is man and wife in bed at night, hear a bump in the house, there's a noise, and he goes, baby, let's go check that out. Okay? So that's, we're going to do it together. We complement one another. I would love another. to see a camera on that wall. <laughs> exactly. You know, I want to uh, see the video of yeah. that happening. Biblical patriarchy is there's a bump in the middle of the night, and the dude says, baby, get the gun and get in the closet. I'm going to go check it out. I'll be back when it's safe. 
All right, so, so that's the difference, okay? So egalitarianism in the world is that men and women are completely equal. There's no differences between the two uh, whatsoever. Complementarianism is there's differences, but together, we're in it together, and everything is us, you know, kind of idea. Biblical patriarchy is I'm the man, I have responsibilities, I have to take care of these things. God has expectations placed upon me and grand responsibilities placed upon me, and I have to carry those out independently of what the woman does. Yeah, and and if you you look at the different viewpoints of marriage or these different examples of marriage, uh, you know, people that believe in things like evolution and and all this stuff that we're, you know, spinning through outer space at 500,000 miles an hour and all this other kind of weird stuff. Um, you know, just if you just look at nature, okay, so we're ignoring nature, all the science that backs up what is a man, what is a woman. You have to ignore those things. You have to ignore what's right in front of your face mm-hmm. that men are c- are created different than women and we each have our role the way God made us. Um, I've heard a lot of people say, um, you know, things about, about men and women on the battlefield and things like that. And the men always focus on protecting the women in the battlefield. Mm -hmm. The news will portray it differently. There was one person that was, um, that was taken captive, a long time ago during during a war and uh, and it said that she was on a table and shooting a gun and all this stuff and in reality she was under a table hiding because in reality it works one way and but you get uh, these political agendas that want to push something else so if we would just pay attention to nature and the way God created things, we would see that there's only one true view. Mm-hmm. And the way God made it is the only way it can work. That's it. There's one way that God said is true and right, and then everything else is just a rebellion against him. So there's one truth, and then there's many rebellions against him. But you know what's funny is in lost culture, um, they're very hypocritical. Like they're very hypocritical in the things that they say. Um, you know, of course, a classic example, every preacher loves it, is to say, you know, that the declaration of that there is no absolute truth is an absolute statement of truth. And, and so it, it contradicts itself. You know, it makes a hypocrite of the one who says there is no absolute truth because he's saying, I absolutely know this to be true, that there is no absolute truth. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so that's funny, and they always like to say that. But then also, you know, like the... Um, People say, well, I identify as non-binary. Well, what's funny is that when you identify as non-binary, then you create two categories, which are binary and non-binary, which is a binary choice. Right. It's It's true or it's false. Yeah. You know, so you can't be non-binary because that is a binary category of that there is binary and non-binary and you you identify as non-binary, which is a binary choice. Right. It's the same as like... um, you know, they don't believe there, there's this all these genders and there's there's male, there's female, there's Zim, Z, Zer, Zab, you know, whatever they want to come up with. You know, I mean, all these different ones. But in that LGBTQ plus sign, dollar sign, exclamation point, um, the third letter 
is B, which stands for bisexual. They just said there's only two. Like in their own, you know, pride flag parade people, by including the B, they're saying there's only male and female. Because you can't be trisexual, quadsexual. They said bisexual. That's men and women. That's it. That's all, you know. So, so even within their own lies, they can't even get it straight. It's like they're not offering a different reality. It is just a, a lie that they would like for you to believe and regurgitate. Well, you know, there was a culture. Um, there were a couple cities that, that were falling into these same lies, very heavy. And a man named Lot lived there at one point, and oh. those cities were pummeled um, with some fire. You're talking so. about the uh, the citywide angel gang rape scriptures. Yes, 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 yes. Those so, where yeah. they would offer, where he would offer his daughters, and they would refuse the daughters because they wanted something unnatural. Yeah, they would literally rape the uh, non citizens to death at night. You know, like it, it was. It was quite a, uh, uh, a horrid culture. But, I mean, today, man, I mean, we see the same thing on, on parade all the time. I mean, we've had parades just this past weekend in, you know, D.C. and Portland and Seattle and all these different places. And it is just vulgarity on parade. I mean, it is nakedness. It is perversity. Um, it, it is every kind of, of mental disorder that could possibly be. It's just a rebellion against God. And, um, and, and trying to insult him at the same time by using the, the rainbow, you know, as all it is, you know, so. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's perversion, and, mm-hmm. and you start out um, with what happened. You see in the 70s and, and 80s things were going on, but no one would talk about them. And you had abuse in the home and different things like that was going on. We didn't address it properly. We didn't do what the Bible said do. So now we're in the aftermath. Of I that. agree. I agree. I agree. But men and women are different. You know how I know they're different? Spelled different. Spelled different is that yeah. the only reason. Hundred percent spelled different. See, I can't. I can't read, so I can't see <laughs> that. So I have to look, and I just look and go. My wife is. A lot prettier than I am. She is. She is a lot prettier than you. You would be a very ugly woman. I would be a very ugly woman. Yes. And I have so. to say, Jonathan, you would probably be an even uglier woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I would. I'm a very ugly man. <laughs> so, so yeah, you put this and, and you try to make this feminine. Oh, dear God. Yeah, Lindsay. Yeah. Lindsay shows a lot of grace and mercy. Every she day. is, man. I praise God for her poor eyesight all the time. Yes. You know, like... It is it is a blessing to this old fat boy. So, uh, yeah, it, it is it is very much. But, but yeah, you know, that's the thing is that men and women are different. They are two completely different creations. So you have God designing a man, and then you have God designing a woman. It wasn't like he just designed humans and decided to put different genitalia upon them. They are two different distinct creations. We see not only are they unique in creation, but then even in the fall, they were given different curses. They didn't just receive this one general humanity curse, but the man has the curse, and God's like, "Yo, Bubba, you know, there's gonna be thorns and thistles, and you got to get out there and sweat for it. You know, like you gotta, you gotta make the earth do what you want it to do. It's not just gonna be something that happens. It's gonna take your effort." 
And then with the woman, it is childbirth and child rearing. It's the the um, wanting to overtake her husband, but he will rule over you. We see two distinct separate curses that these are two different creatures. And what marriage does is marriage makes the two different creatures into one new thing. So it's not a man and a woman anymore, but it is a husband and a wife, and the two become one flesh. So so you have two completely different creatures who then get married together, get joined together or cleaved together, and, and that's how it stays, is, is cleaved together. Now what's funny is that word cleave means, means two things. It means united, and it also means split apart. But it is a united in a way that makes it very diff- difficult to split apart. And then when you look at cleave used to split things apart like a meat cleaver, that is the worst instrument for for deboning for for uh, uh, butchering an animal, the cleaver is the most unforgiving, rudimentary tool that they have. It's it's a hatchet. Well, that that just depends on how sharp it is, right? <laughs> so if it's really dull, then it's really bad. But if it's super sharp, it's still the worst instrument. <laughs> like you're not making fillets with a meat cleaver, you know. Like it, it's not you're not deboning something with a meat cleaver. Like it is to do the hard butchery work. And so so the joining together in marriage is knitting together in such a way that it can't be undone. And then to cleave it apart is to be the most brutal butchery that can possibly happen. And we call that divorce. Yes. So there's no such thing as an easy divorce or that a clean divorce. Like it is rough and rugged and bones are broken and it is, you know, it, it's not something that's done with a fillet knife. I it's something that has to be cleavered apart. James Dobson quoted some stuff. Don't you uh, bring long. James Dobson into this? I'm just He's the voice of an angel. <laughs> so he quoted some t- statistics uh, that said divorce is worse on a person than the death of a spouse. I believe it. I believe it I, absolutely, um, because it, it lasts forever. The divorce is lasts forever too, so marriage is forever, and divorce is too. Like you don't just get over it; you carry it with you forever, and then you have to introduce. This is my ex husband. This is my ex wife. You know, kind of thing. You know, when you tell the story, you don't get to tell the story of we've been together for forty, fifty years, or whatever. It always they're always part of the story too. You know, so you always say, well, I got I got married and then I got divorced and then you know, and nowadays I got married and I got divorced and I got married and I got divorced and I got married and I got divorced. You know, I've, yeah. got, I've got you know five kids by six different women and uh, you know all this kind of stuff and it's just kind of a oh my gosh, you know, the people's testimonies now are getting to where I mean it's like reading the phone book, you know. I mean, and that's you know, and and that again goes against what God created and God's nature and God's design one man one woman one lifetime um and and that we we dated i hate that term i hate dating we courted more than we did dated but we we dated yeah but we did a lot of courting we did a lot of sitting on her parents front porch in a swing talking about the Bible, hebrew talking about some uh, adding an h yeah yeah 
Yeah, back before you started using all those big fancy words and all those books you've been reading. I got an education. You so. got a serious education. Yes, yeah. you did. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, smarty pants now. Yeah, I was just a smart Alec that knew some Hebrew. I, I read three marriage books, one on ancient aliens, and also a book about uh, homemade ballistics. So I was ready for wherever this conversation went tonight. There you go, ballistics, homemade <laughs> ballistics. I would say some stuff, but probably get in trouble. And yeah, don't this do that, would never man. make it on the internet. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. So, the uh, so that's the thing, man. Marriage has to work vertically before it works horizontally. What a person thinks about God, their understanding, a biblical worldview, all of these things are outrageously important to the marriage relationship. It's not just I think that she's pretty and he has a nice truck. And we're going to get married and stay married for 50 years because that's just what's supposed to happen. That That is a fairy tale. And I think people who have that thought are destined for a lot of problems. The marriage may make it. Pain. A but, lot of pain. Yeah. yeah and love it, will not suffice. Uh, a, a, a carnal love for your spouse is not going to make it through. You've got to have enough grace and mercy in the bank knowing that you are a sinner and you need grace and mercy so that when your spouse sins against you, you can say, you know what, I mean, you got to forgive them. As much as, as much as Christ forgave you, and having that relationship with Christ, if you don't have a strong relationship with God and His Son Jesus, then yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see how people make it at all. Well, and and that's the thing, you know, because if you go into it with an expectation of this person is perfect and they will be perfect and they will always be perfect, then when they're not perfect, it's like, oh my God, this is a big deal. Versus going into marriage, going, you know what, this person is not perfect whatsoever. They're a sinner. They're going to mess up. I'm going to have to forgive them. I'm going to have to love them through the hard times and through the struggle times and through the great offenses and, and through the their great failures that they have. And, and in return, they're going to love me through my great failures, and they're going to love me through when I disappoint and when I don't do what I should do. Um you know, that's what's going to carry marriage because what will happen is when we have this expectation of that we're going to skip off into the sunset and everything's going to be great and wonderful, and then it's not, we act as if some great crime has been committed against us. And and they sin against us, and we just can't recover from it. We just can't forgive. We can't get over it. We can't move on. We, You know, can you believe that they did that? Yeah. I can believe that, you know, and, and, you know, let me talk about all the things I see wrong with you, you know, like there, there's a, there, but there has to be the grace. There has to be the mercy because if not, what will happen is they sin against you and then you sin against them and then they sin against you and then you sin against them and you're returning evil for evil. And what you're doing is you're just perpetuating it. You, you are planting seeds for weeds that are going to continue to grow in your marriage for, for not just your marriage, but also your kids' marriages and their kids' marriages. Like you're poisoning the well for your posterity. Versus one of the things that, one of the things I told Lindsay when we first got married is I said, I will not fight. I'm not going to fight. 
So if you want to fuss and fight, you can go to the car and scream or something. Like, I don't care, but we're not fighting because fighting leads to calling names, which leads to that. And then the next time that we fight, we're going to fight about this fight. We're not even going, we're not even going to talk about the subject at hand. We're not going to deal with the problem in front of us. We got to drag up all of this pain and all of this hurt that we've caused one another because we never forgave it. We never moved on. And that's what we're now fighting over. And you have some people who've been married for 20 years having the same fight for 20 years. Yeah. You know, and it's every time they get into a fuss, it's, oh, well, back in 93, when you said such and such and blah, 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 yeah, you know, you know, and you said my mom burned the cornbread or something, you know, like just ridiculous junk that they're bringing up because it's not even real sin or real offenses. It's just hurt. It's pain that right. they haven't forgiven of that other person. And so they're not even fighting about the subject. They're fighting about every fight they've ever had. And it's just circular. It's constant. And so I told her, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to fight. I'm not because I'm good at fighting and I'm a smart butt and I can think of about a lot of things to say to hurt feelings. I'm really good at it and I'm not going to do that to you. And so until I can talk about it without emotion, I'm not talking about it. And it drove her crazy. Like she hated it for a long time. I think she appreciates it now. And but at, for for the first few years of our marriage, for a lot of times, man, like she it would, like she would want to fight about it, and I'd be like, no, I'm not fighting about it because I've seen this, I've seen it, I've observed it, I know what happens, and I don't want to ruin our marriage by talking about things emotionally when they when they don't need to be talked about emotionally. I don't want to bring my emotion into it because I'm an ugly fighter. So you you saw the marriages that were being. And, and the pain that it was causing, you decided in your marriage you were going to change it for the better. Absolutely. My kids have never seen me and their mom fight. I don't know that they've ever even heard me raise my voice to her because like, that's very rarely happened in 14 years now. I mean, I, I think that I might have raised my voice two or three times. I think we've had two real fights. And um, most of the time it's just Lindsay knows now that if, that if I get quiet, it's because I don't like something, and I need to calm down, and and we'll talk about it in time, you know. But uh, and we just kind of leave it at that, you know. And and that's what works for us, you know. That's what we've seen is being able to um, not not make the next fight out of this fight, you know. Letting it die, you know. Letting the sin, letting the transgression, let the the failure. Uh, or, uh, the failed expectation, just let it go and move on. You see, what Dana always quotes to me is don't let the sun go down on your anger. So she won't let it go. It has to be dealt with. If, there, if we don't go to sleep until there's forgiveness. So whatever's going on, if so, y'all, there has so, to be. But it, Todd, it doesn't say don't go to sleep angry. It says don't let the sun, sun go down. That doesn't that, that matter. That means that you got to get over it before the sun goes down. Exactly. So that doesn't exactly. mean that you have to work it out. <laughs> well, <laughs> that well, just means you got you got to get over it. It doesn't mean that you got to come to a resolution. Well, I've been married for twenty one years for a reason. So because you stay up and fight about because, it. Because because I know <laughs> what makes my wife happy. And you know that it and doesn't say don't let the sun come up on your anger. So if you're fighting at night, you're already <laughs> against Scripture. 
<laughs> so <laughs> that's the most unbiblical thing about your marriage <laughs> is that y'all fight at night. So that's I said that's what Dana quotes to me. Oh, okay. right. So, but now I wonder if you wait until nighttime to start the fight, then you've got oh, a full twenty-four hours. Oh no! Oh you, no! You got no, until no. the next sundown. No, 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 no. We there has there has to be compromise. There has to be forgiveness. There has to be. It has to be dealt with. That's how we handle it. And the good thing about it is, is the, you know, no matter who gives you advice about your marriage, um, their advice may not always work. But if you'll stick to what the scripture says about you, the man, if you will act like the priest of the home, and you will act like Jesus to the church, and you will forgive your spouse because the buck starts with you and stops with you, buddy. That's right. right. It's your fault. Well, it may not be your fault, but it's your responsibility. It is your responsibility. So you got to do the forgiving. You've got to work it out. And guess what? If you married a terrible woman, it's your fault. You married a terrible woman. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I, man, I can't tell you how many times that in marriage counseling, you've got some dude ripping his wife or you got some woman just absolutely dogging her husband. And one of my favorite things to, to do is just to look him square in the eye and go, and that was the best you could do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Out of all the people on earth, that's the best you could do. Yeah, there's... <laughs> There's, there's supposedly a lot more women on this earth than men, but that's the one you found. Yeah. Or maybe it's the fact that she found you and she ruled the relationship and maybe you're tired of her ruling the relationship. But guess what, buddy? You picked her. And, and that's you the thing. You chose her. Is that, is that so often what we see is that men will marry a Proverbs 6 woman and expect her overnight to become a Proverbs 31 woman. Right, and so the whole time where where Solomon is telling his son, "Hey, don't go after the hooker," you know, like don't do this, and and here's the allurement, here's the trapping, here is the the um, overt sexuality at the at the front end of the relationship. Here's all the things to worry about, and then we flip over, and when he starts talking about the Proverbs thirty one woman, he's talking about his mama. Mm. You know who his mama was? Do you? Yeah. You don't yeah. know. Bathsheba. Oh, there you go. And so here, Proverbs 31 woman is Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. It's Bathsheba, you know. And we know that didn't start good, no, but it ended not. up good. I mean, she ended up being uh, being good, and she ended up being a, a blessing, you know, to uh, you know uh, to David. But uh, in that, um, so often what we'll try to do is is dudes will go out and they go shopping for all the wrong things. And then they end up married to a Proverbs 6 woman. And then they go, wow, well, she just won't. She won't. Bubba, you didn't marry her for none of that. You, you, That's right. She wasn't baking biscuits when you found her. You know, like she, she was baking something else. Yeah, she, weren't biscuits. yeah you know, she, she was half naked, hanging out, drunk and slobbering and being stupid. And, you know, and, and so you found, you found one in the gutter and you expected to you know, to turn her into a housewife and that, that's, that just ain't going to happen. You know, that uh, a wedding ring ain't going to change that, you know? And, and so 
uh, you have to be so careful going into marriage. And the same with ladies. There's way too much missionary dating for Christian women going out and marrying some of the most sorry, awful men whatsoever with this Messiah complex of, oh, I can change him. And and no, you, you don't. You know, Jesus can change him. The Holy Spirit can change him. But you can't. You're not a Messiah. Right. And, uh, you and know, it's not your responsibility to it. go chasing after him. No. No, not at all. Not at all. So you become the best woman that you can be, and you wait for a great man to come see the value in it. You know, you don't right. you don't put the goods on display, you know, and you don't give out free samples, you know, just hoping somebody wants to, you know, wants to take you to the checkout counter. Um, no, you become the best Christian woman that you can be, and you wait for a good Christian man to come along and say, hey, that's a good woman right there, you know, and, um, and see the value in, in who you are. Because if you can't, if you're not a person of value, uh, if you don't have values, then they're going to treat you like you don't have values. Yeah, yeah they're going to treat you like they found you. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Unless the grace of God covers both of you, you both repent and start doing it God's way. That's it. That's absolutely it, man. And that's the thing, you know, that dude's... They have to step up. They absolutely have to carry the load. They have to be the model for their family and the leader for their family. And it's up to them, you know. But uh, so with that, men should chase after what God calls masculinity with full force, with full effort, um, which isn't, you know, Cheetos and video games and all that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, it, it very much is being a, a thoughtful um uh, intellectual, hardworking man, and a man of responsibility, a man of character, and then at the same time having the, um, you know, that women chase after femininity, you know, but in secular society that we're, in, you know, just engrossed in, there's been a blurring of masculinity and femininity. They they try to girl up the guys and guy up the girls, you know, and so women are. No longer is there the expectation of the stay-at-home mom. Now it's almost odd. You know, people are like, "Oh, well, you know, what's wrong with her? You know, she couldn't get a job. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't work outside of the home. What do you do? You know, yeah, and you what's have that. Wrong with you? Yeah, you know, why are you just, you know? And what's funny is that's only like two generations deep in American culture. Like you go back about three generations, and the expectation was that the woman stays at home and makes a home, and the man provides a living. Prior to the Industrial Revolution, the expectation was that the man was going to provide a living from the home, that the home was industrial in its nature, at its core. And so dude fixed cars in the garage. You know, he built things. He made things. He, uh, you know, he farmed and gardened and all of this. He provided with the sweat of his brow. And then with the Industrial Revolution, it was like, oh, we'll just stand here and hit this button and, you know, work this machine. And then it was the computer age, and it was, well, work this computer. And now people don't know how to do anything. There's no production at home, you know, for the man. And then at the same time with World War II, then Mama left home too. And Mama needed to go to work to push the button to make the machine do the thing. And so she left home too. And so now the home has less activity in it today than it ever has of any generation prior to us. Right. And children are are the least parented. This generation is the least parented generation 
ever to exist. By design. By design. By design. Just like what happened in Nazi Germany where they were taking and splitting, taking the responsibility of raising the children. They wanted the children to be in uh, in Hitler's schools mm-hmm. and be good nationalists and good, you know, let, let the Nazis teach the children. Mm-hmm. We, in English people... Um, well, English people, the king and queen of England were given money to the Nazis. The Vatican was given money to the Nazis. Oh, America was the, too. Uh, America the Bush was family Nazis. were given money to the Nazis. Mm-hmm. The whole, the, everybody was doing it because they wanted the science, they wanted the experiments, they wanted. Well, it's all the these same things. thing that's happening today. With you know, we're going to ship this money to Wuhan, and you do all the you do all the terrible stuff over there because we're not allowed to do it here. And it's just outsourcing evil. I yeah. mean, it's, it's the same thing that they were doing then. Um, you know, that, that is still being done today. They just outsource their evil. And you, you do it, and you, you be the terrible person. Yeah. We're going to benefit off of it if it ever, if we can turn a dollar off of it. Yeah, let's create the wars. That's let's it. split the families. Mm-hmm. And let's get the children out of the home so that, so that the government can raise your children and turn your children into whatever they want to. So now we're to the point where everything's confused. Everything is messed up. You've got Hillary. I mean, Hillary that said it takes a village and, and um, it doesn't take a village. It it takes a mom and a dad. You know, God didn't give a child a village. He gave them a mom and a dad. Um, You know, and then, you know, just recently uh, Joe Biden said, um, there are kids, you know, yeah. No, they're not. They're not our kids. You know that your kids are not my kids. Right. You know. Well, they, technically, Joe Biden didn't say that. He read it off of a screen, and I'm surprised <laughs> he didn't say "end of line." Well, the corpse it. that they're injecting with steroids. Yeah, you know, whatever that thing is that's walking yeah. around. It <laughs> used to be Joe Biden. Maybe at one point, it, it's just reading like off the something screen. out of Men in Black. Yeah. Just, he's yeah. he's eating a lot of sugar water. Yeah, really, he's, he's got a bunch of tentacles and weird arms and things like that. Yeah. Oh, resident Biden. Yeah, resident <laughs> Biden. That's it. But yeah, you know, but that's their attitude is these are our kids, you know, and even you'll see uh, terrible school teachers because there are some good public school teachers. There. I know some good Christians who teach public school, but then you'll see the rest of them and they'll go, we know better. We are educators. We are trained. <laughs> that's so funny you're trained by the people who who you had to pay money to to say that you now know enough to teach high school um you know what it takes to teach fourth grade a fifth grade education you know what it takes to teach eighth grade a ninth grade education <laughs> you know like that that's all it takes so you graduated high school then you had to go to college for four years to learn how to teach what you already knew you know, and then you go back and, and teach it, you know, and, and they think that, oh, well, with this, there's this higher calling. There's this thing, you know, we know how to teach and train and educate children and you don't, you know, and, and so it's more important for the children to listen to us because we're professional educators than to their parents. And we saw during COVID where this remote learning stuff and, and the teacher would say, now, kids, make sure your parents are out of the room, make sure that they're not around, you know. All this kind of, whoa, man, you know, like that's the reason the explosion for the homeschool and movement and everything is because people finally got to see what happened inside the classroom. And they finally got to see some of these, some, 
some of these radical crazies that go into education because adults would look at them and go, you're nuts. Yep. But a eight year old kid just looks and goes, well, daddy told me to look to you as an authority. Right. Daddy said I needed to listen to you. And so they're just soaking in this grossness and this perversity. And, and for every, for every good Christian public school teacher, there's probably 25 that are just from the pit of hell. And those have an agenda. Yes, they do. They are coming in there to educate your children, not in reading, writing, and arithmetic, but in genderqueer and the fluidity and all this kind of stuff. I mean, they are wanting to pervert your children because they are perverts and they want acceptance. They want, exactly, exactly. Which, what better way to get acceptance by people who are young enough not to question things. That's it. So you, you're not old enough to question things. So Because in a room of your peers, your peers would go, You're crazy. Shut up and sit down, you blue haired weird you blue haired weirdo. You know. But with the children, the children are told you do whatever this woman says. Because they're an authority. That's it. You know, and then mama goes away, drops you know, the school bus is dropping them off and the next day the teacher has rainbow flags everywhere and is this weirdo or right. talking about, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's ridiculous to because me. Because we live in a society where the colleges are teaching the teachers to say stuff and you're learning because you were in school and mom and dad are divorced. So mama has to work outside the home. So you're forced to go to school so the government can indoctrinate your children to do whatever they're told to do. So you take the pokey pokey when we tell you to take the pokey pokey. You, I I believe it was Rockefeller who said, I don't want a population of thinkers. I want a population of workers. So that's what we've got. We've got a population of workers. And the men and the women are working just to provide a living for the family. So they can't homeschool their kids. Well, you know, we went from home education teaching, you know, Greek and Hebrew and Latin to now public education teaching remedial English in college. So the family was doing a much better job than the public school system ever could. And I think that there's a place for public education, uh, exactly what you just described, you know, where there's a, a failure of of life where they failed to marry they failed to to do these things they have children out of wedlock and they can't stay home they have to go into the workforce um to those things i think public education is a great thing because if not there would be no education um because very often what you see is that next generation up they're working too grandma is still working grandpa's still working great grandma and great grandpa's still working too you know um, and, right. and so in an effort to become richer, they've actually become poorer and poorer and poorer. And so public education has its place. Um, I just don't think that the Christian parent has a place for public education. You know, I think that, that the Christian children shouldn't be there. Christians should be educators. They should be teachers. Um, but uh, I just don't think their children should be there. Yeah, if you, if you set your marriage up when you get married – and you plan ahead for these things that so I that, always say so that in, I, I, I am, we are a one income family. 
Dana went to college to be a teacher, and she taught before we had kids. And then when our oldest was born, she stayed home, and that's where she stayed. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's been hard. It has not been ideal always. We definitely fail in a lot of areas, but she is doing a great job. Yeah. And and that's that's we that's what we've just done. We've just said, okay, and the Lord has blessed it. We've dedicated to do what we think is the best thing for our children mm-hmm. and God has blessed it. Isn't that just a crazy novel idea? It, it's pretty ridiculous. It almost sounds like faith, but I wouldn't I wouldn't stretch it that far, but it sounds like faith. Yeah, it's just it's just crazy. Yeah, the oh, <laughs> it's you know it, absolutely you know in pre in pre marriage counseling something I always tell them is I look the dude straight in the face and I go budget off of your income, like her income, treat it as savings, pay off debt, do whatever. I was like, but budget off of your income because the day is going to come where she wants to stay home, whether it's child number one, child number two, maybe child number three comes along. She starts to do the math. She sees what daycare is costing, what just having a job is costing her, um, and cosmetics and and clothes and another vehicle and all these extra expenditures. And she's going to do the math, and she's going to say, you know what, I'm missing out on 16,000 hours of my child's life by putting them in public education and not for much more money. I want to stay home. And the day that she says that, you have to be able to look at her and say, quit your job tomorrow. Because she looks at you as the provider, as the source, as all of this stuff. And when you have to tell her, no, you have to get up and go to work tomorrow, she will resent you. She will resent you. She will absolutely resent you. And I see that. I see it constantly. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's sad Mm -hmm. that so many people don't hear that message that guess what? You can stay at home. Mm -hmm. Guess what? If we do things God's way and the man can provide, there are some, there are very, there are circumstances where that's not the case. Yeah, and, and, and there's sometimes where women say, you know what? I want the $200,000, $300,000, $400,000 house. I want the $80,000 vehicle. I want the $300 jeans. And I'm willing to put my children in public education. I'm willing to go to work. I'm willing to do all of this for those things. They see the value in those things. And and you just have to remember that you chose that woman. And you chose that woman. And that's fine. If that's the life that you want and if that's what y'all agree upon, then that's fine. And I'm not going to chastise you for it. But I always tell the men, you budget off your income because there will come a day where she wants to stay home and you better be able to tell her yes. And not because, no, baby, we got to pay off the boat. Oh, my truck, we owe 50000 more dollars on my truck. We all, you know, all this kind of stuff. No, you budget off your income so you can look at her and say, baby, you can quit work anytime that you want to. And if you'll do that, she will love you. She will appreciate you. Even if you are in the $80,000 house instead of the $300,000 house, even if she's driving a $15,000 car instead of an $80,000 car, she will appreciate you so much as the provider, the protector, the priest of the home, the one who is shepherding. She will admire you for your ability to say, 
you quit whenever you want to quit because that's the way God made us. You're the provider and she's the homemaker. Absolutely. Absolutely. The day came when Lindsay wanted to stay home. I told her, yeah, sure. You know, in fact, when she was working, I didn't even like, she didn't even give money into the household whenever she was working. It was, hey, whatever you make, that's your money. I'm, I'm pay the bills. I, I already had a house, a car, and a job before we ever got married. You know, I was on my own for 10 years before we ever got married. And so with that, it was like, I don't need your money. You know, like, come on in here. Now, she calls me some roommates, which I really miss. They they paid the house payment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they paid the house payment and the utilities and everything. But the, then she gave you five more roommates. She did, and they are awful, too. They contribute nothing. they have yet to pay rent but i'm looking forward to it a day is coming when when they're going to take care of daddy you know and then so the um but yeah you know uh, but that's the thing is that and what you see so so often you'll see this a lot is that when women are forced into the workforce what will happen is over the course of time they lose part of their femininity because they have to compete with men and, and like they have to take on masculine attributes and qualities or else they will get dominated in the workplace by dominant men. And so what will happen is over time, man, ladies who have had to work outside the home for a long time, they kind of get a rough edge to them. Like they, they, they're not the, they're not the sweet kindergarten teacher you know, kind of mode, you know, like if they've succeeded, if they have made it in that workforce world and promoted and done well, they usually have kind of a masculine edge to them, you know, a hardness to them that they've lost some of that, that beauty of femininity that, that God has gifted them with. And I think that's very unfortunate. It is, you know, and, and, and while I can respect those women for their achievement and for their attainment in there, especially the ones who had to because of sorry men and bad circumstances, sometimes their own bad choices too. Right. But sometimes they're true victims, you know, in the situation. And, and man, I can admire them and, and say, wow, they did, they did some wonderful things and succeeded in a hard place. But at the same time, there, there is kind of a sorrow, you know, that you feel for them. Because uh, they missed out on a lot. Yeah, and a lot of times they get in that mode and they don't. And it goes back to you. they were never taught who to look for in a spouse. And, and they were, they, or they have, they have the, the parents that, that push them to go out into the workforce. Because that's how their parents were taught. That's it. So they're not looking for a man to you support you got to prepare them. a baby girl to get a good job. That's right. Yeah. So they're not looking for a man to they support They never them. taught her to make biscuits, but we got we got to teach her how to do clickety-clacks on the computer. That's right. That's uh, right. Or you get out there and you become a mechanic because that's what you love to do. So you get out there with the, with the best of them and you work on that car. And, you know, it's... And there ain't no shame in some mechanic and women. You know, that, that's great if that's what they choose to do. You know, but I don't want to school my daughters in worst-case scenario. I want to school them in, in the most precious, most prized, wonderful things. You know, um, the first things first. You know, because no matter how successful they are in the, in the secular world, you know, in the job market, no matter how successful they are, the the pantsuit will never be as powerful as the apron. Right. And they'll never in business achieve the things that motherhood 
will afford them and, and the greatness, you know, because it says that uh, in, in Scripture, it says that her children rise up and call her blessed. Um, it doesn't say her employees rise up and call her blessed. It says her, her children, you know. And that's the thing, you know, that's why we celebrate Mother's Day and not, not Woman Boss Day. You know, I mean, we don't have a day for that. And Mother's Day we do. And Mother's Day, man, it, it's we, we sell out of flowers and we, we pack the restaurants and we, we, we parade for mom. We, we cherish mom. But I've never, had a, I've never had a woman boss that I did that for. You know, there's just not a preciousness to it. And so too often women are forced to trade most valuable things for things that really doesn't matter because I mean she gives 40 50 years to that job and she can be cherished and she can be a stud employee that they don't know how they're going to make it without her and a week after she's gone they've made it without her exactly and somebody else has filled that desk and somebody else is carrying that load and it just moves right on without her but when you lose mama you've always lost mama yeah, I mean, you know, you don't get over that. Families don't recover from it. It, it, it. it doesn't get better. It just gets different without mama. And so that's a, that's a whole thing that we've, we've devalued culture, lost culture, not the Christian culture, not the church, and not scripture, but the lost world has devalued women to a place to where women are just men with different genitals. I mean, that's pretty much all they treat them like. And even now, they don't even get that treatment. Okay, but what else does does the media treat? What do they What do they always say about? They always put women in the category with money, as if they're property. So out of one side of their mouth, they say women are the same as men, but then you look at what was the saying: uh, "Sex, drugs, and rock and roll." That's so, a saying. So the and then it's money, women, and power. So I mean, at what point did my my wife is not a commodity? My daughter is not a commodity. She is not to be sold or traded. She's she is a living soul. She is precious to the Lord, and she has a role. But now you said your daughter. You have three of them. So which one has daughters. the value? Sorry, all of them have value oh, okay. the All same three. value okay. right. yes uh, so <laughs> so and the thing about my oldest daughter she can make uh, an awesome blueberry crunch she can cook she's great in the kitchen um but at the same time she also knows just where to cut you mm-hmm. so daddy, so how nice does that guy's truck have to be when he pulls up to to try to date her if he can't speak hebrew so he has to when, be Jewish. When he pulls up and and he can't quote scripture. What if he can um, only speak Hebrew? If he can only speak Hebrew, then she went on a mission trip um, <laughs> <laughs> there, and somehow I let her go that far. Um, hopefully some, some folks got saved um, in the process. So nice truck only speaks Hebrew. Nice. Those truck are your. Those are your two. He, first of all, he's got to love Jesus. Oh, okay. right. Because um, as some people say, I'm not scared to go back to jail. Um, <laughs> I've never been to jail, but I will tell him that. Um, <laughs> Jail's nice. They feed you. You don't have to pay rent or anything. Okay. So I just don't want to get turned into a woman while I'm there. <laughs> Good, Leah. Listen, 
I don't think even jail's that desperate. <laughs> That's good to know. They still have standards. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, man, we are rolling over an hour. I think we're going to have to turn this into a three or four parter and uh at all but todd it's been great having you here man we're going to continue this uh probably next week and uh, continue to march through uh you know the discussion on marriage because believe it or not even with an hour we're just getting started and so there's so much more marriage and family that we can talk and that we will talk so i appreciate you coming into the woodshed with me here guys out there thank you for listening um if you have a question or a comment feel free to drop it to us on our facebook page remember that you can always find the woodshed also on youtube where we upload our weekly sermon uh we're going through the book of deuteronomy right now and we have deuteronomy chapter 18 that was uploaded just today so go check us out at the woodshed or woodshed podcast on youtube Uh, like subscribe uh, leave us a comment all that stuff helps us out with the algorithm and uh, we don't charge anything for any of our content so uh, so with you if you can do anything just help us spread our reach and uh, get this out to more and more folks we greatly appreciate it until next time this has been brother jonathan with brother todd here at the woodshed where we tell the truth even when it hurts